dedicated to the DC Arrowverse on the CW network. It saved this city. A Flash and Arrow podcast. And now here's your host, Matt Murdick. And welcome back to Save This City Podcast. It's episode 8 of the podcast. This particular podcast, we are looking strictly at Supergirl on CBS. So I just want to tell you up front, uh, normally, as you know, we cover mostly the CW shows with and put Supergirl kind of at the end. But I didn't really have time to put Supergirl onto an already really long podcast uh, wrapping up the winter finales of Flash and Arrow. Um, So this is strictly a Supergirl podcast, and if you're not into Supergirl, well, skip over this one. We'll be back talking about Flash and Arrow in the near future. Uh, Also, uh, we will have a recording for you with Donald and Camille before uh, Flash and Arrow return on the 19th and 20th of this month. By the way, my name is Matt Murdick, and I am from SaveTheCityPodcast.wordpress.com. That's your one-stop shop for all things this podcast, like the back episodes, the social media and contact links, and the podcatcher links. And a review on iTunes or our Stitcher would be very much appreciated if you could take the time to do that. Thank you so much. And let me just give you some contact information, because I haven't heard from too many people other than about my absence as of late, and I want to make sure that I hear from you with your thoughts on any of these shows uh, or the podcast in general. Save this city podcast at gmail.com or tweet at Save This City Pod, or you can call 314 669 1840 and leave a voicemail, and I can actually play that on the podcast. Uh, that's all of the contact information. That's all of the podcast stuff. Let's talk about Supergirl. I'm going to be covering a lot of the episodes. Actually, uh, season one, episode four, which was technically the fifth episode. They did a switch because of the bombings in Paris and because the technically fourth episode, How Does She Do It, uh, was a, had bombs in it and they felt it would be insensitive to show that episode uh, right after the Paris bombing had happened that weekend. So they switched two episodes around. Um, But Livewire is the name of the episode that aired fourth, written by Roberto Aguirre Sarcasa and Caitlin Parrish, and directed by Kevin Tancheroan. It's a hard name to say. Um, The fifth episode which was, again, technically episode four, How Does She Do It, was written by Yalin Chang and Ted Sullivan and directed by Thor Frudenthal, which is a name, of course, we've seen uh, associated with the Flash and Arrow stuff, too. Keep in mind that a lot of these people, not necessarily the writers, but especially the directors, are kind of bouncing back and forth between all of the shows and doing episodes of each one. Um, So some of the names you will recognize. Supergirl Season 1, Episode 6, Red-Faced, written by Michael Grassi and Rachel Schuchert, and directed by Jesse Warren. Then Supergirl Season 1, Episode 7, Human for a Day, written again by Yalin Chang and Ted Sullivan, and directed by Larry Ting. Supergirl Season 1, Episode 8, Hostile Takeover, written uh, once again by Roberto Aguirre Sacasa and Caitlin Parrish, and directed this time by Karen Gaviola. 
And then finally, that was the winter finale, but we've already had the airing of the spring premiere, which was Supergirl Season 1, Episode 9, Blood Bonds, written by Ted Sullivan and Derek Simon and directed by Steve Schill. So we'll be covering that one as well. Wow, lots of episodes to talk about. So you can see why I had to split this podcast up between the the Flash Arrow stuff and then the Supergirl later. Uh, Let's get into it. Security discovered it during a routine sweep of the floor. Clear the building. Don't move that. It could go off. That would never happen with the fulcrum weight of a helium core. We need to evacuate. I've got a lab full of pretty brilliant work here. I'd like to keep it from going up in smoke. Then move over. I'm not going to let your bravado blow the both of us up. This lunatic is trying to kill me with my own technology. While I appreciate the irony, I don't plan on giving this satisfaction. Trust me, I know which wire to cut. It's not a problem. I may have a problem. All right, and that clip was actually from the episode that aired fifth, How Does She Do It? But it's technically the fourth episode, and I'm going to review them in the order that they were originally intended because story-wise um if you watch live wire before how she how does she do it um the way that it aired then there's a big hole about the whole uh james olsen lucy lane thing so that's why i decided to go this route and just go ahead and do it so i can talk about the story in show order as it was intended rather than um and and don't get me wrong, I think CBS was fine in, in thinking about, you know, trying to be sensitive uh, about the Paris bombings and all of that. I, th- I think that that was a fine move. I don't have any problem with that. Uh, but since we're way past all of that and we're just talking about it in terms of the context of the story and the chronology of the story, it just makes sense to put it back in the order that it was intended. So we're actually looking at season one, episode five. Uh, how does she do it first? And in this particular episode, I really like the Maxwell Lord story for the most part. You know, you don't trust him, and especially given where we are in the story now, up to date, you really don't trust him. But uh, at this point in the story, I could see why he wouldn't trust the government, considering what happened with his parents. Um, and I still feel like there's this kind of gray kind of area to this character, and he's going to be flipping sides whenever he needs to in various ways, shapes, and forms, and even, you know, what we know now, developing some kind of weapon based on the Red Tornado, um, the arm. So that was very interesting uh, reveal at the end of the most recent episode. We'll talk about that when we get there, of course. But I, I do like Maxwell Lord as, you know, kind of this foe for everybody. Um, and I, I really like the chemistry between him and Alex. Um, I, I think that they did really good, although um, that's also pretty much in the wind by the time we get to the end of our review here. But it, it was still really nice to see kind of uh, in this part being built up. That was very nice. But when you talk about chemistry, let's talk about the whole love quadrangle dynamic. Um, That can just be too much. 
And those seeds, of course, are still going on even where we are now in the show. And, you know, I don't have anything against anyone who likes that kind of stuff. It's just not for me. Let me just put it that way. If, if you're into that kind of thing, more power to you and you're getting a heck of a lot of it in this show. But it, I'm not a big fan of it. And I kind of blame really the Smallville series for initiating that whole love triangle stuff into the comic book kind of stories. I mean, maybe maybe there's some there in the comics themselves, but I don't think it's ever quite as overt as uh, it's made out in these television shows. And I think Smallville kind of started that. Maybe Lois and Clark a little bit, but um, I can remember a whole slew of love triangles involving uh, the characters in Smallville. Naturally, that was probably because of that CW mandate that I talk about often, you know, and we have the same showrunners, basically, or the same producers um, from Flash and Arrow that help get this show off the ground. And I'm sure that, you know, what they're doing with it um, is just making CBS dizzy with it, really happy. Um, I don't know, love quadrangles or love triangles or love whatever shapes. It just seems like they're car wrecks. You know, everybody's got to take a moment to gawk at it. And I think that's why television studios and television stations love it is because um, typically it does help with the ratings as opposed to hurt with the ratings. I know that I'm probably in the minority, but but it just doesn't really work for me. As I mentioned, I I thought the Alex and Maxwell Lord stuff is a nice seed and that's naturally a doomed romance. Um that's that's okay. I I can do that. It's it's just the the love triangles or quadrangles that I really don't like. But there are some really t- touching or or thoughtful moments uh in this one regarding that. Like Cat's son saying when is getting killed and when saying every day or or Lucy telling Kara about Jimmy always running off with Superman. Um they do try to make all of those different aspects of these characters interesting and, and make you try to see, you know, even if you're shipping this person and that person, well, I can see why this person and that person should be together too. Um, they're doing a pretty good job with playing all that up. I, it, again, it's just not for me. And I have to say that Cat Grant must be an awesome mom if her son says that nerds can win in the end uh, when uh, Kara first uh, meets him. That kid isn't the greatest actor or character in the world, but uh, I liked him, and his crush on Supergirl was cute, and uh, Kat's little speech about juggling at the end, um, that was a nice thing, too, in regards to him and everything. I just really like Cat Grant. I can't help but like her. Um, the visual effects of this thing, the the drone thing was okay, I guess. Um, sometimes I felt like the flying was a little weird in certain eps, and sometimes not. Um, I do love the way that they do the x-ray vision thing, you know, kind of going through bulkheads or going through buildings real fast. And, um, ooh, I liked Alex's changing ID badge. I mean, I don't know if that's really a visual effect. I guess it is. And I don't know if this is really a visual effect or not, but I, I like the idea of what I'll call a tanning bed to help Supergirl get her strength back. Um, and, uh, in that moment she, she saw the red eyes, which we all know who, well, who that is now. Um, though 
I guess that she played it off as a hallucination. She didn't really ever mention it again, did she? And as far as Hank goes, you know, that bit at the airport with the eyes and the bending metal, that was nicely done. It certainly added intrigue at, at that moment of the series about who Hank is. And, of course, like I said, we all know. Just a, a little note, too, about this one, uh, since we're all watching Flash. Did anyone notice how similar the drone in this episode looks to the drone in the Flash running to standstill episode? Um, I wonder if it's the same model or, or at least the same design type that they just, you know, um, maybe the visual effects company is doing, um, is using over and over. And there was a, a little bit of a Cindy Lauper tune in, in the episode, so she at least made some money. I, I couldn't tell if it was a cover of her original tune of of uh, Time After Time or if it was her version, um, but uh, it is her tune, so she banked. Yay! Um, all in all, this was a pretty good episode. Uh, the train stuff was kind of cool. Um, I don't know if it, it, it ranks among, you know, like a super fantastic episode, probably mid-sevens, somewhere in there. And uh, that's it. Let's get to uh, the next episode as it was supposed to air. And actually, I aired prior the, the Thanksgiving episode, Livewire. Kara, your oven's not the best. Would you mind giving it a quick five seconds or so? Hmm? She comes in handy. I have to admit, the first time she did it, I was a little worried. What if we were all eating radioactive turkey? Oh. <laughs> it's no worse than the microwave. We'll all live. You're having a lot of fun, Alex. Let's get some food in you. Yeah, uh, everything looks great. Oh, especially the pie. Oh, yes, that is the best pie in the galaxy. Or so I'm told. So before we eat, I thought it would be nice if we went around and shared what we were grateful for or any other feelings that we might want to share with family and friends. So, let's share. Okay, I'll go first. Um, I am grateful for everyone here. My best friend in the entire world, my sister who's always had my back, and the woman who always treated me like a daughter. You sweetie. Alex, do you want to go next? Nope. When? why don't you go? Yeah. Well, that's easy. <laughs> oh, sorry, guys. I'll turn it off. Oh, it's James. Um, sorry. Sorry. I'll make it quick. Thanksgiving call. It's nice. Again, when I first saw this episode, I was really confused about, you know, where Lucy and James were because of the skip over. And a lot of that is covered in in the How Does She Do It episode. So I don't think there's any real need to talk about it um, anymore because we saw them get together in that episode. And, and then everything, you know, once I saw the How Does She Do It episode, then everything made sense. But I was really confused by the, the Livewire episode at first, at least in regards to that aspect of the story. But we get Livewire, and I really love the effects for Livewire, and and I love the telling of the origin story uh, for this particular version of Livewire. That was that was really done. Uh, Britt Morgan, I thought, did a great job making Leslie Wells a really nasty person, even before the transformation. 
as far as the origin itself goes, I, I mean, it's it's hard to buy any kind of explanation that would cause a transformation. I, I know that uh, Hank had put in the, the whole Kryptonian blood thing, and uh, that's all fine and well. I, I guess that, that explains it enough. Um, but now she is this living being of, of pure energy. The funny thing is there's even a line in there, I think, between Leslie and Kat uh, about how nobody wants to hear an explanation about how the transformation took place, right? I would have been one of those people who would have liked to have heard a better explanation of that, uh, but uh, that's an easy way to play it off, and so uh, that was great. Uh, speaking of Kat, I mean, this was a great episode for her. Uh, like I said some of the character development was missing a little bit when I first saw this episode because we didn't have the how does she do it episode yet, but learning more about her, her son and everything by watching these episodes in the order they were intended, uh, you know, gives you an idea of, of what a great woman that cat is. And this episode specifically you see kind of a softer side of her. I mean, even though she's hiding behind prophets and and all of that stuff by the end of the episode, part of me wants to think that, you know, uh, by the time we get here, especially, there really is a heart in there after all, not just about her son. Um, but there is the anger-guilt thing going on about what happened with Leslie and how she actually does blame herself. You think about that scene in the hospital and, and she was kind of saying, well, just wake up you. But really, um, she was great in that moment. I, I thought Calista Flockhart was just brilliant showing um, that kind of confliction within Kat, uh, despite whatever words came out of her mouth. I don't even know how to describe how she did it. It was like the twist of the way she turned a word up or down here or the the corner of her mouth, the way she twitched it or whatever. I mean, all of it was just perfectly done. And, uh, less of the quadrangle stuff, but you still got to have some family drama, right? So let's make it the Danver family drama. Um, and it was nice to see mama Danvers back. Um, Helen Slater, who plays her actually played Supergirl in that mid eighties movie. So they kind of brought her in. Uh, that that's a great little passing of the torch. <laughs> they they brought her back so that they could remind us what a great movie that that mid eighties Supergirl movie was, right? <laughs> okay, kidding. Uh, but it is a nice tribute to the franchise to have uh, Slater there, and she does a great job with this role. I mean, the whole story arc of how Alex seemingly never measured up to her mother seems like kind of a weird idea to be putting into a Thanksgiving kind of story. I guess it's about, that's the only time you can bring these issues up because that's when the family gets together. But I feel like it kind of intruded into the whole live wire stuff a little bit. I, I know you kind of have to have an ABC kind of plot style, you know, plot an A plot line, B plot line, C plot line style. But uh I kind of almost wish they'd saved Livewire for an episode where this family story didn't really have to dig into the A plotline uh, time quite so much. 
Now, uh, Shiler Lee as Alex was really good in this family stuff, though. I can't say I was terribly invested in, in the why her mom was so hard on her. It made Alex a little more whiny than I had come to see her as thus far in the series. Um, but we do get some resolution to it. And it, w- it was nice that they played the whole DEO into Mr. Danvers' death. Because that last shot of Kara and Alex looking at over Hank Henshaw and, and deciding that they were they were going to get to the bottom of what was going on, that was pretty fantastic. Of course, we have a resolution to that now. There was some quadrangle stuff in this. Um, it got a little more complicated because James had decided to be with Lucy. But if he did, I wish he would stop antagonizing Kara in order to, you know, it, it seems like he just can't leave her alone. He, he, he has to know, by the way that she acts, that, that she cares about him. Uh, and it, it almost felt like he was keeping her warm on, on the back burner. And in the meantime, Kara is, is now in this kind of very awkward position with Wynn. Uh, by the episode's end because he's getting less and less shy and I I just really, again, I'll just say I'm, the quadrangle stuff isn't for me but I almost feel like I have to cover it because it has become such a huge part of the show. And I guess that's really all I have for this one. For For a holiday-themed episode, it did better than some I've seen, I guess. I'll give it that. But um, the family drama knocked this one down a couple of pegs for me um the live wire stuff was great i wish we'd like i said i wish we had more of that i'll go like maybe 7.6 7.7 for this week's episode despite its flaws mainly because i'm forgiving it a little bit for having to take the time to address the themes of the holidays as well as trying to get to some kind of compelling story just wish we'd had a little more live wire Let's move to uh, Season 1, Episode 6, Red Faced. It's experiencing system damage. Test is over. Pull the plug. Now. Supergirl, you won. <laughs> Supergirl, stand down. That's enough. have triggered his emergency self-preservation function. I can't see it. He's in stealth mode, making him 100% undetectable. This is your fault. You asked me to fight it. And now your recklessness has unleashed an uncontrollable killing machine on National City. So this red tornado and the T.O. Morrow guy, I know that they come from the comic books, what is it, a Justice League series? I, I really don't know anything more about it. I, I've just seen that bantered around on the internet. Um, it seemed like a decent enough villain, though I actually felt more threatened by the scientist side than the Red Tornado side. Here's the thing. If Kara can lift an airplane, hold up a building, not be phased by an explosion in her face... How is it that she can't handle this thing putting her in a headlock? How is it that she can't get out of that headlock? The p- 
problem with superpowers is that in order to feel any peril for the character, you you sometimes have to put them in situations which are totally contradictory to what the powers have allowed them to do that you've already seen. I mean, okay, I get the lead thing, but that just keeps her from seeing through things. It shouldn't have anything to do with her strength, right? I wouldn't think. So the situation where she's seemingly in most peril really made zero sense to me at all. And I also don't think it was communicated very well how how she stopped the tornado that the robot released in the middle of the town either. I mean, what did she do? Yell at it? I mean, why put a peril out there at all if you can't explain how it's dispensed with? It, it really didn't feel like it there was any satisfactory explanation as to how she took care of that. So that was pretty much the stuff that I wasn't a big fan of. Also, of course, I'm not a fan of the whole love triangle thing. I've I've said that over and over and over again. I could really care less that Lucy works with Daddy General or that Daddy General doesn't approve of James. Um, That was wasted screen time to me. Um, I could certainly care less that that Kara is, is... pining over James while Wynn is pining over Kara. The only couple stuff that was kind of really intriguing to me again, uh, because it was a little more plot driven, uh, as we go down would be the whole Alex Maxwell Lord thing. Again, there were, there were some sparks there that I like and, um, seems to be no good by the time we get to where we are now, but I, I won't completely give up hope on it. I can't help but feel like at some point he will end up using her or, or or she will use him to get some kind of vital info. Uh, but, you know, they laid a lot of seeds about, and maybe it's just a test to see if the chemistry's there and they figured out that it didn't work for some people and that's why they've gone the route they have uh, in these later episodes. But here they were really trying to do something between these two and I can't help but feel like that might come back at some point. Uh, and not for the good. It's definitely a doomed relationship. Now, let's talk about something that was really good uh, in some ways, uh, and that was Kara's anger. Some of those realizing moments about the origin of, of Kara's anger were just fantastic. And that was helped tremendously by Blake Neely's score too. I mean, there was some really nice music to help accentuate the emotions that she's going through. Um, I really felt bad for Kara. I felt concerned for her. Um, there were some out of control moments for her and that was good to see that she's still learning to have to curtail herself a bit to restrain herself. Um, the whole road rage thing was okay. That was stupid. Because why would two rich white guys be beating up their cars on each other's in in, in the first place? I just can't imagine that happening. Um, but, you know, I did love the iconic idea of a superhero saving uh, school kids. That's one of the biggest uh, superhero tropes ever, right? And it still works for me every time. And they've done it a couple times this season. And it still works for me. Kat has her own kind of anger issues going on. and Getting drunk and, and talking about the anger issues and, and the dealing with her own mother. I mean, all of that was great. And, of course, it's her talk with Kara that 
gets her to confront her own issues. So that was really good. I, I love the way she also stuck up for Kara for a minute with her mom and, and then went back to being a uh, cat, of course. But that's just the way she is. Again, though, I just want to talk about that scene where she, where Kara is uh, lasering the droid and the flashbacks and, and that anger. That was a great acting moment for uh, Melissa Benoist, I thought. I, I really felt that. The score did help, definitely. Uh, you take the music away from that and it's not nearly as powerful. Uh, and as you know, I'm a musician, so I appreciate those kind of things. Um, and that's probably why I'm kind of a sap too, because I always let the musical score, if something is scored well, then I will feel more emotion than your average person. Um, so that's probably one of the reasons why, uh, you know, moments like that get to me. And in the end, uh, that stuff also introduces, uh, mystery for the next episode how how is it possible that that Kara could get cut um and of course we had uh the whole bit about Hank was on assignment with with Daddy Danvers and we get an explanation to that in an upcoming episode as well so uh that's it for that particular episode um this one was emotionally more powerful to me uh just from Kara's singular story it was less powerful to me in terms of the villain in that, although the villain will pay off again uh, when we get to the end of this discussion. Um, so it was a nice seed to plant to get to where we are now, especially concerning the Maxwell Lord story. And on, a, you know, from this perspective, uh, it makes this episode a little better. But when I first watched it, I probably would have only given it maybe a 7.5, 7.6, somewhere in there. Just and it was mainly because of the car emotion stuff. Now, um, since we do have that that seed uh, about um, the arm that that Kara froze off being in Maxwell Lord's lab, uh, it makes this episode seem a little more important to me. So I'm going to go uh, even as high as seven point nine. Wow, um, raising it up two tenths of a point just for that. But that's it. Let's move on to uh, Kara with a cold. Human for a day. I am a shapeshifter. When Hank Henshaw died, I assumed his identity to perform the D.O. But I also made your father a promise that I would take care of his daughter. I recruited you so that I would honor that promise and protect you. As if you were my own child. If you're not Hank Angel, who are you? I am the sole survivor of my planet. The last son of Mars. My name is John Jones. Obviously, this episode is about the, you know, quote-unquote superpower of human determination and, and human heroism. And I love the way that it was accentuated uh, in this episode. 
every aspect of it, like when Kara and James helping to get people out of the upper floor to Alex taking on this gym character with no chance of winning without sacrificing herself. Um, I didn't like the convenience of the adrenaline thing kicking in so much when James was falling. Uh, I did like her getting her powers back after feeling so helpless for most of the episode and all the things that resulted afterwards, you know, her helping out with the earthquake, uh, especially uh, once again, a school bus full of kids. That cliche was present. Uh, I even love that. Now, that montage of Kat speaking to the people on the feed while Kara was basically impersonating herself with powers, that was so fantastic. I mean, it was well cut. It was scored so wonderfully by Blake Neely uh, and Callista Flockhart and Melissa Benoist just knocked that scene out of the park. And, and even the the way that... Um, and I cannot remember the actor's name, please forgive me, but the guy who plays James Olsen, you know, just looking at the expression of his face as, as he took the picture, um, the idea of, of humans being heroes instead of victims or villains um, is something that gets played down a lot in comic book television. Uh, but this particular episode, and especially this scene, really brought the, the point home beautifully. And uh, I also really love the moment between Cat and and Supergirl at the end too, where Supergirl told Cat that Cat inspired her. Uh, that was fantastic. Did, there are actually there's lots of great emotional beats in this episode, and like I said, I'm a sap, so I was worried that we only really got James Olsen into this story to be a love interest for Supergirl mostly. But all of the beats about uh, Jimmy talking about his dad, they were just fantastic. And I really commend that actor. He really brought that home, too. Not only that, but then there was that whole thing about photography in general, about capturing who a person is forever. It was a really beautiful piece of, of overdramatic writing. I understand it's overdrama, but I still love it. And then it gets all ruined by the love triangle crap. I mean, darn it. <laughs> why couldn't Wynn have just stayed away? And why is he being such a crybaby about it? I'm just saying. Of course, one of the big reveals that I've been alluding to, and of course we all know if you watched all of these episodes, is the reveal about Jean Jones, the Martian Manhunter, the last son of Mars. And even his story was about human heroism regarding Alex's father. So it was great that they put this reveal in there uh, in this episode. It really thematically just really tied everything together. And as far as Jean Jones goes, I love the way he looked, um, the story that he told. There's so much more to find out about him that I'm sure will be revealed as time goes on. But ever since this defining moment, um, you know, I've been really much more invested in Hank. Um, I guess he was supposed to be perceived as a threat in the, uh, beginning because he was alien and everything, but now he's become one of my favorite characters in, in the, uh, in the whole show. And I, I love David Harewood anyway. 
loved him in, in Homeland. And um, this was a great acting moment for David Harewood uh, as well. And again, great music by Blake Neely uh, during everything. Another big head jerk was the whole Astra thing being back at the end. Uh, didn't expect that when I first saw that. And, of course, it continues on in the next two episodes, so we'll hit more on that in a moment. Overall, despite some of the lovey-dovey bull that interrupted the flow of an otherwise great episode, to me, this was one of the strongest episodes uh, of the season so far. Um, I'm giving it a really high rating. I'm going 8.8, 8.9, somewhere in there and there. And not because it rakes that high so much against other TV shows, but I, I think in terms of comparing all of the episodes that we've seen so far together, um, this one should rank in the upper echelons. Simply, it, it was just an amazingly, uh, and again, I'm a sap, but it was an amazingly emotional episode. And I, I really, really dug it. So let's move on to Hostile Takeover, Season 1, Episode 8. Yes, but not two seconds later, Supergirl shows up. Another coincidence? And let's not forget that you took it personally when I named her Supergirl. Sure, for... For political reasons. Do me a favor and take off your glasses. My glasses? I... I can't be blind without them. I doubt that. If you're not who I think you are, what does it matter? Miss Grant, I... Glasses, or I take it as a confirmation. Supergirl. And of course, there's a dual meeting to this one, of course, with Astra and her gang uh, doing some taking over. And of course, the the hostile takeover, uh, seemingly, of Cat Grant's dynasty. And I guess the first thing that we can say for sure is that the knife Hank used to hurt Astra at the beginning of the season is definitely a kryptonite knife. It really seems weird that Astra wouldn't know her own planetary composition, even if she didn't know what it was called by the Earthlings, but they made sure to, to point it out to us, so that means they perhaps were trying to mislead us a little by Astra's reaction to it. I feel like you can find a slight hole in the effect of the kryptonite between when we saw it before and when we see it now. I mean, it seems like it can weaken Kara greatly uh, from a few feet away. Her punches were very much less effective. She had trouble flying. So I can't understand why it wouldn't have weakened Astra when she was, like, right on top of Hank, holding him by the throat above her in the second episode. Again, uh, you have to make the power of our superheroes dependent upon, you know, what the story needs to tell. So I can forgive it. It just it just seems a little weird to me. Now, the daytime battle between Kara and Astra, I thought that was great. 
when they were flying through the air and 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 punching each other, some of those shots reminded me very much of the Man of Steel movie. And they even had a thing where they went through a building, except this time I feel like they did it right. In Man of Steel, Kal-El never really saved anyone from any of the falling debris from the buildings, which is one of the criticisms, if I recall, of the movie. Um, here, Kara does save people and, and even uses the falling wall to, to hurl at Astra, so that was well done. And as for Astra's past and, and what the Alora uh, computer generation confirmed, it seems that Astra is kind of an environmental activist, perhaps on the extreme side, of course. We don't know what her methods to save the planet would be, but nonetheless, um, it doesn't really matter. I mean, she seems concerned for the environment, but she's still a, a criminal, and her husband Nan's activities are just flat awful. But I, I really did love the emotional moments created by the situation, and, and I think that Melissa Benoist is nailing some of those emotional moments in, in terms of the vulnerability for Kara. Uh, maybe there's a little bit of overacting sometimes, but it, it's not too bad. And again, I, I know I keep saying this over and over and over, but Blake Neely's score is just knocking these kind of moments, um, these emotional moments out of the park. And I keep thinking about Astra being an environmentalist, seemingly, and the whole bit about Maxwell Lord seems to be very much environmentally conscious. And I wonder if there's a possibility that we might see an alliance between those two somewhere in the future. If for nothing else, then for that reason. Got to talk about the quadrangle of love just a little bit. Um, this episode actually seemed to place a little bit of resolution on it, which was a little bit of a relief. Um, the way they addressed it, too, was funny. Um, it's like the writers are, are making fun of themselves in a subtle way for having to do this. But it's like now they're all working together and they're trying to be kind of friends, which may even be more weird than the, the love quandrangle. Uh, everyone now just kind of likes everybody else, but they're still hiding true feelings. I mean, what was just icky to me is now kind of weird um but the b storyline of, of the the catco hostile takeover that was a great way to play some of that stuff out and really once again you've got Callista flockhart she is just so good in this show to me um cat grant is sometimes just so annoying and yet she's always really strong she's always really smart well okay until the next episode um, the hidden child would, was something that I guess we could have seen coming, but I was most drawn in by the way that Kat actually talked about it so openly with Kara and how real those thoughts Kat was having about the whole thing seemed to me. And of course, how Kat finally puts it together that Kara is Supergirl is great. Well, at least for this episode, but once again, as seems pretty typical with the Berlanti-produced superhero shows, I always get a little squeamish when so many people know the true identity of the hero. Um, and we had 
the 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 cliffhanger at uh, Maxwell Lord's facility in this one a nice ending battle to leave folks wanting more. It was a great way to leave off for Christmas and make people wait two weeks so that they would come back and watch. And I guess that's it. Um, overall, it's a pretty good episode. I think I like the Human for a Day episode best of the season so far because, like I've said many times in this podcast, I'm a sappy guy and the emotion stuff gets to me. This one did have its own share of emotional stuff too, so it probably runs a, a, a really close uh, second or, or in tandem with the pilot for close seconds uh, of the half season. And uh, I'll give it an... We'll, we'll go like 8.5. How about that? 8.4, 8.4, 8.5, somewhere in there uh, for a rating. And there's just one episode left to talk about, uh, which was the, I guess you call it a spring premiere, if they call the other one the winter finale. Doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, considering that the season's not even really half over yet. But anyway, episode nine, Blood Bonds. So, yeah, I'll just get out of your hair. Why? Have a building to leap in a single bound. <laughs> so <laughs> we're still going with that joke, <laughs> which is great because it's it's hilarious. <laughs> Kira, there are many topics that I find appropriate for humor: English cuisine, black lipstick. But I will never make a joke about a good story. Miss Grant, I'm sorry you think what you think, but. It's not true. I'm not Supergirl. One time at a party, Paul McCartney swore to me that he and Yoko were the closest of friends. He was more convincing. I just, I don't want you to be embarrassed when you realize how wrong you are. Fine. We'll just keep playing this silly charade. You may go, Kira. I'm sure there's a phone in need of answering. Or a plane in need of catching. The standoff from the cliffhanger kind of ends with Hank being captured, of course. And that creates this standoff about trading Astra for Hank, which allows for some really great moments in this episode, especially for, for Astra. I, I love that she isn't painted totally dark now. Um, her character is quite complex. I mean, she definitely has uh, some wrong methods, but I don't necessarily think that her message is wrong. You do have to remember that Astrid did give a trap location, though, even under the duress of some kind of liquid kryptonite. I, I guess that's the same stuff that was used in those trank darts that the DEO used on Kara to bring her down for the first time. But the, the, the last trade, I mean, that really resulted us in seeing that there are a heck of a lot of flying aliens in Fort Ross, which I guess stands to reason... Um, are all of those Kryptonians? I don't know. But if that was a place that was a prison uh, for Kryptonians, then it would make sense that there would be more than just Astra and Non there. But it sure did seem like there was an awful lot of them. And that might be something to keep in mind if ever there is some kind of final showdown between Kara and that group. I really do have to give it up for uh, Laura Benanti. Uh, she does a great job with the whole Alara and Astra thing. Uh, she does fantastic with it, and it really played my emotions to the hilt. 
I, I just keep saying this over and over that mainly the reason that I keep watching this show, I think is not so much for the continuity of the story or anything else. It's just uh Blake Neely's fantastic score um, that just keeps accentuating these highly emotional moments for me. Uh, gives me the feels this show does. As for the story with Kat and Kara, this is where I think it's the one time that I've been disappointed. Kara felt the need to hide her identity from Kat. And I really don't think Kat would have had any intention of exploiting it. I mean, I know I just said that not everybody should have Kara's secret. But the ending where Hank shape-shifted to look like Supergirl in order to fool Kat... It, honestly, I don't know. It just made Cat look dumb because Cat instantly dismissed Kara as a as a possibility anymore. And I didn't really like that ultimatum that she gave Kara at the beginning of the episode either. It's really kind of the first episode that I just didn't like Cat all that much, and that's okay. It's okay to not like her sometimes. It just I developed such a respect for how smart of a woman she was. And, and now, I mean, obviously you would think anybody would probably be duped, but uh, I'd like to think of Kat as being beyond being duped uh, just because I've grown to love her character so much. Um, and again, part of that's just because of my uh, absolute love for Callista Flockhart too, probably. But anyway, I was kind of disappointed that, that, that they, folded that back uh i didn't once it was out there you know i had a problem with cat learning about it at first um but uh, i thought that that was a nice tribute to how smart she was and it seems like they just pulled that rug completely out from under cat and i was kind of disappointed in that uh one secret that is kept safe there i guess but another one is revealed Kara knows about uh John Jones now and um, I did love that little dig uh, that John Jones and Alex gave to Kara about not being able to keep a secret I also like that Hank didn't have to transform and reveal his true identity to anybody but Kara I, I think that if he had had to reveal his true identity to the rest of the organization, that that could be pretty disastrous. That may be something that's coming in the future. Um, the only thing I wonder about John Jones keeping this image of Hank up is that, is he going to be able to age the way he looks? I mean, granted, I guess it's probably only been, what, about 10 years since he recruited Alex's father. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm still not completely convinced that Alex's father is actually dead by the way. Um, but anyway, in order for him to maintain the way Hank looked over a 10-year period, that's not that troublesome, but eventually he's going to have to change something or people are going to start thinking some weird things about Hank and, and looking into it. As for the uh, James Olsen and Wynn thing, um, <laughs> what, are they buddy-buddy now? I don't know. Uh I don't guess it's exactly clear what Maxwell Lord is up to, but I like that James and Wynn were looking into it. Um, and that really fueled Kara's fire, too, when James ended up getting hurt by Maxwell. And as much as I dislike Kat in this episode, I really dislike Maxwell 
a lot more than I ever have. It's really the most harmfully villainous I think we've seen him be. He's been kind of smug and kind of smart aleck and, um, you know, the stuff with the train way back in How Does She Do It, that that was pretty nefarious, but um, he's definitely being nefarious right now with the way that he treated James, and, and now he's separated himself from Alex, too. So whoever or whatever that thing in the bed is, you you can bet it's going to be bad news. Um, or can you? I don't know. We'll have to see, but I, I think that uh, since we saw that red tornado's arm at least i'm pretty sure that's what it was um, that droid was basically made to kill kryptonians so that can't be good for kara or anyone maxwell is another character that there are times when he's really on the dark side like he is here and this is really an evil side that the, the first real emergence of the truly evil side but i am still holding out some hope that this gray character will kind of find his way at least back to the center a little bit because I don't really want to hate him, if you know what I mean. Now, as far as the General Lane stuff goes, first of all, let me just say I find it really hard to believe that a person disobeying an order from General Lane wouldn't be court-martialed for disobeying the order, although I don't know if we saw him after he refused to take a shot at at, uh, Alex and them. Um, but I really didn't see any point in having the army come in except to create kind of this very temporary obstacle for Alex and Kara. It, it just it just almost seemed like it was done to be able to fill the episode out and to get that actor back. I guess people like him. I think he's okay. I, I'm not very knocked out by General Lane. I'd much rather see more Lucy Lane than General Lane myself. Uh, and I guess that's it, guys. Uh, overall, the emotional stuff was great, again. Um, the twists and turns of the characters was, was good for the most part, except for the whole cat looking dumb at the end. Didn't like that. There was some decent action. There was a little humor. There was some good intrigue. Uh, I still think out of all of these, my favorite was Human for a Day so far but i do have to say again that some of the astra alara stuff really did knock me out this episode and because i'm a sap you know i'm going to rate this one fairly high uh i'll give it like an 8.4 somewhere in there um another really strong episode for me and that's going to do it for this particular podcast we will have at least one more podcast coming out talking about uh, expectations for all of the the new shows, the new season, new half season of your standard regulars, Flash, Arrow. Um, may talk a little bit of Legends of Tomorrow. We'll be doing all of that with Donald and Camille. And also just want to remind you that because we're going to be covering basically four shows for uh, this half of the season, uh, my plan is... Um, I'm going to be doing two shows a week. Um, I'm also touring a lot in January. Um, so when I can, I'll be getting you a review of Flash and Arrow out on uh, late Fridays, early Saturdays, and then a cast covering Supergirl and Legends of Tomorrow from the prior week on Tuesdays. 
Um, again, that that's hopefully in as consistently as possible. Do want to take one last moment to thank you all for sticking with me. I know I was gone for a long time, but we're back now. We'll try to be as consistent as possible for this half of the season, for this spring. And uh, I need to hear your thoughts. I'd love to hear any of your thoughts about any of these episodes. We haven't been getting much in the way of feedback lately, and I'm not going to beg for it. But I would very much love to share your thoughts uh, with our listeners if you have them. You can send an email to save this city podcast at gmail.com or you can tweet at save this city pod or you can call 314 is the area code 669-1840. That's the rewatching good TV listener line. Say that you're leaving a little bit of feedback for the save this city podcast at the top of your message because that line does serve uh, multiple podcasts and that'll do it. Thanks for listening, and this is Matt. Take care. Find all back episodes and all contact links at savethiscitypodcast.wordpress.com. If you have feedback, you can leave a voicemail by calling 314-669-1840 or send email to savethiscitypodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at savethiscitypod. Please leave the podcast a written review on whatever app that you use.